This week on Earn More Tutoring, I talk with Yulia Rafalova about her journey to starting Mindful Education, how she became the premier parent coach in Los Angeles, and how she had to go through her own trials and tribulations of running a massive tutoring business to find what worked for her. I remember the first four parents who were who piloted my coaching program, and I was very honest with them. I said, look, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I know I've got something. It's, it's good. I know you need it because, <laughs> you know, you, you shared with me these struggles and they're so common. So uh, I'll give you some free service and you'll give me some feedback. Um, and to this day, you know, I still connect with those parents. Welcome to Earn More Tutoring the ultimate crowdsourced education entrepreneurship show. This week, I speak with Yulia Rafalova. Yulia is a parent coach and the founder of Mindful Education. Welcome, Yulia. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So just to get started, share with me your different offerings and what your business is all about. Sure. Um, So I'm an executive function coach and I primarily work with families. And what we do is we practice a method for collaborative problem solving uh, that was developed by Dr. Ross Green and it's called Plan B. And he calls it Plan B because um, when you think about it, when when problems come up, especially problems uh, in families whose kids have executive function, difficulties. Uh, The reaction to those problems seems to include either uh, trying to reward challenging behavior or punish challenging behavior. And there's a lot of friction that results in the relationships between parents and kids. And uh, Dr. Russ Green um, calls typical parenting reactions to reoccurring challenges um, plan A. And parents tend to lean on plan A, which means they tend to react in a top-down authoritarian fashion where plan A is, this is what I need you to do and I need you to do it now or else. And often when you have a child with ADHD or uh, any any sort of challenges with uh, regulating their behavior or their emotions or tolerating frustration, they're, they tend to react to that authoritarian style of parenting with opposition. And so many families experience an ongoing power struggle. So what Dr. Russ Green talks about is getting rid of plan A and implementing plan B. Meaning if that didn't work, if your kid is unable to comply with your expectation, you got to drop that expectation and you need to figure out why this behavior is happening and why now. And the idea of plan B is to come together and have a very specific type of conversation. Uh, It's a a series of steps in a certain order that helps parents engage with their kids in a way that they'll actually listen. And that's the biggest complaint kids have about their parents and vice versa is my parents won't listen to me. And parents say the same thing. My kid won't listen to me. So plan B is um, a different way of solving problems that's collaborative, that's more democratic, and that's much more likely to help your child develop the skills they need so they can get more of what they want, but more adaptively. So I, I guess I could boil it down to saying I help you know, families get along better and I help them get stuff done more collaboratively because your kid's going to do whatever they can to get what they want. That's 
their internal drive and motivation is that that's just like the rest of us. So let's help them develop the skills to do that adaptively. Yeah, that's every podcast episode I have. Well, not everyone, but many of them come back to this core issue in society that that being a parent is hard. Being a kid is hard, of course, too. And parents don't have the tools they need or the coaching they need. And so it feels like such an important area that is is kind of a smaller market. I mean, there's a lot of parents who want support, but it doesn't feel like there's there's tons of providers. So it's great that people can know that this work is out there and that you do it. And it's almost like while you're talking, I'm thinking plan A is not even a plan. It's just reacting and just getting mad. Like, oh, you don't want to go to bed when I, you know, it's like you plan B is you have to have a process for working with people. And it sounds like you've, you've kind of drawn from one of the leaders in the field and created or, you know, implemented that process. How did you get in to doing this work? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, It's a complicated answer because, you know, I didn't follow the normal path. You know, I didn't like figure out what I wanted to do and go to school and learn how to do it. And then I'm doing it. It, it, I just sort of stumbled backwards into a series of things that brought me here. Um, But I would say looking back, I mean, at the time, it just felt like chaos, you know, and, and just kind of falling forward into this. But looking back, I feel like I always had some internal driving force and what I want really what it is, is uh, it's problem solving at its core. Like I want to solve problems and selfishly, I want to solve problems so that I could feel better. (laughs) It's I'm trying to solve my anxiety about other people's problems and I'm trying to get them to stop bugging me. So I have, I had this natural inclination to um, go to where the problem is and figure it out and figure out a creative way to solve it. So uh, when, and, and another driving force was that, uh, because I have ADHD, um, it's, it's quite difficult to force myself to do something that I don't care about or isn't meaningful or is boring. So I, I found myself, uh, seeking out things that were interesting to me and I've always been, uh, interested in, in learning, not so much schooling, but in, in learning and exploring. And, uh, especially when something hits that curiosity button and I'm confused about something, or I don't know, I have this urge to want to figure it out. So there was just this series of things that led me toward, um, helping people. Uh, I became a tutor Um, I ended up uh, becoming the person that sells the tutoring enrollments. And then I ended up developing a new process of assessing the needs of the children that I was supporting. And then I became a consultant and started supervising the tutors. And then we realized that, uh, you know, and I did that for almost a decade. And I, I realized throughout all this time and throughout meeting thousands of families and interviewing them and hiring tutors and training them and connecting them that there were some patterns that came up and there was this problem that I couldn't solve. And the big question was, uh, how come when I send this one amazing tutor to this kid, 
and they do the academic support, this kid all of a sudden like soars, they're doing great. But this other kid who's brilliant, uh, who's, who's trying just as hard and who's working with the same amazing tutor consistently keeps uh, failing and not meeting expectations. And I had all these parents, uh, as a young consultant, I was in my twenties and I just kind of like jumped into it, you know? So, um, my, my academic, my schooling background is in political science. And there's a whole other reason why I got into that because there was some, some questions there that I love to explore. Um, but when it came to parents asking me questions about their kids, me as a 22 year old consultant, <laughs> um, uh, they would ask me stuff like, how come my child does their homework? They spend hours on it, but they don't turn it in. And those questions baffled the parents and they baffled me too. And my solution was, I have no, you know, I'd say, I have no idea. Let's ask your kid. And I realized that in our 45 minute meetings, uh, these kids would open up and share all their internal workings and the reasons why certain things that seemed irrational on the surface that made perfect sense to them, or, you know, they were explaining uh, the reasons why behind all these behaviors and parents would walk me out consistently and say, I don't know how you got my kid to open up and be honest. I have no idea. We've been asking them for months or years to, to help us understand. And this is the first time that we actually get it. Um, and what I realized through academic tutoring was that that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for the kid to understand the content. There was something stopping them from taking the type of action to, to following through. And a lot of it was their, it was based in, uh, not a rational or logical thing. It was based in their emotions and some resistance that they were experiencing. And what I found is that a lot of these kids really uh, didn't like the system of schooling. They had a lot of problems with it. And so did I. <laughs> so I validated a lot of that for them. And, um, and I also realized that they would consistently have the same answer to my question. So like I would ask all these thousands of kids, what's the reason why you go to school? And 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer was, so I can get a job. And I thought, well, there's the problem. <laughs> these kids aren't inspired to explore and learn. They're not curious about the subjects. They're just doing something they're being forced to do and they're pissed off about it. And it makes perfect sense why they'd have all these emotions uh, that would cause them to be dysregulated and meaning, you know, not, not be able to focus because their emotions were just so overwhelming to them. And then they would cause their parents to get so worried and anxious and the parents would start micromanaging or they would start taking away, you know, the electronic devices or whatever that they believed were the root cause of their kids' apathy towards school. Um, so when I started realizing that, you know, when it comes to schooling and academia, I couldn't care less that this kid learned algebra or like perfect grammar or whatever they were teaching in school, um, that became secondary to these other skills that would enable this kid to, and not just kids, you know, obviously there are young adults and college students, uh, but that would, would enable somebody to figure out what it is that they want and execute the series of steps 
that it would take for them to be successful in that. And that's when I started really diving into this thing called executive functioning. And I, I became obsessed with it (laughs) Uh, to the point where we, in this tutoring company started an executive skills program where we would train not just the tutors, but also uh, because it was part of a franchise network, the franchisees and the consultants to deeply understand not just what is executive function, but how to do (laughs) executive function so that they can model it, so that they can look out for the symptoms of dysfunction, and so that they can reframe, help the kids and the parents and the consultants reframe uh, and understand what 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 it is that was actually happening beneath the surface of these behaviors. Um, so that's uh, that's led me here to you know closing the tutoring company and really really focusing on executive function, but not not just with the students because I've made another shift where I work more primarily with the parents because they are the biggest influencers in their child's lives. And to be honest, very often when I would work just with the students, I would notice that the parents would undo a lot of the work we were doing because they just were so worried that they were not able to allow their child to experience the struggle and the failures that are necessary in order to gain and develop the executive functioning skills that they need. Yeah, that is a journey. And it sounds like you realized that, you know, when when you were speaking about the root cause and it being not being video games and, and the things that the kids escape to, it's really, they don't believe in the system. And it makes sense, right? When you hear it, when, when, as you told your story, I was like, I had an aha moment. I was like, yeah, if a kid doesn't believe in, uh, you know, the education system and they're like, yeah, I want to get a job, but that's just, they're just saying that because that's what their parents like. If you don't, you know, graduate, you're not going to get a job and then you're going to be homeless or whatever, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, if you don't believe in it and if you don't have a reason for education, it's basically kids are going to sabotage it, right? Like they're so good at sabotaging when other people are trying to force them into do things. Like my daughter does it to me every morning. I'm like trying to get her out the door and she's like running around and throwing her socks. And (laughs) so I get it, you know, and it, it makes sense. So it's, the question is how do we get them to buy in so that they are the executives, right? Like, I love that word executive. I just feel like there's so many meanings to it. They are the executives of their own education, which they should be, right? Because education is an incredibly powerful tool. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be formal, like you go to Harvard. It could be you learn a really specific skill like you have, and then you execute it effectively with others. And that is like, that's one thing I learned is like, yeah, I could keep going back to school and keep going doing more school and get my doctorate. But I think I have something. And I think that's what the point of this podcast is, right? Is like, how do people discover the skills that they already have? Or maybe they need a little bit of tweaking. But, you know, there's so many teachers out there, so many tutors that if they tweak things a little bit like you did, they could be fulfilling such a vital need, which, you know, in your case is the parent coaching. Could you tell us more about how you went from being a tutor with this organization or with the program to actually taking a leadership role, which, which transitioned you eventually to creating your own system. But I'd love to know, like, cause a lot of people out there, they're just sole, sole tu- tutors and they're working with a group of kids, but they're wondering like, how do I, how do I move beyond that? And I'd love to hear how you, you stepped out of that straight tutoring role and, and, and made the next step. Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. There are a couple different uh, perspectives on that answer, mainly going back to this idea of solving problems. Like there were problems left and right, as you can imagine, in in an operation that um, you know has lots of moving pieces. And it was a small company, and I was interested in running a small business. So I went into it with the intention, even though I started as a tutor, but my intention in the beginning was to, you know, I had this decision after getting my bachelor's degree, do I go get my master's in something or do I like dive into the real world and go do something, (laughs) go get some practical experience. And I decided that I would find, um, a small business that I was passionate about and I would stay there for five years. And that was an arbitrary number that popped into my head because I figured if I do anything for five years, I'll figure it out from the ins and out and I'll be able to learn a lot from that experience. Um, and so that's kind of what, so when I became a tutor, it, you know, I, I was kind of looking at the long run, uh, in terms of, you know, what do I want from this experience? Uh, and also, uh, I just found tutoring to be easy for me and it was natural. And I was kind of a nerd when it came to reading and humanities. Uh, so I thought it was a great way to make some money while I was in college and I can learn some practical skills in business that, you know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs because we're immigrants. So, you know, you don't come to America to get a job. You come to America to like build a business. Like that's the mindset of, you know, immigrants. Well, for my family, um, And I was the first person in my immediate family uh, to get a bachelor's degree. Uh, It just wasn't something that especially women (laughs) did um, in my family. But uh, so I didn't want to get trapped in, and I say trapped, uh, anyone who has a nine to five, you know, I don't believe you're trapped. But like for me personally, I would feel very trapped and stifled. Um, So I decided to gain practical experience. So when I did become a tutor, again, uh, I just walked through the open doors of opportunity. So uh, the business was growing. Uh, I started working there, you know, after it was open for a year. And the idea was to expand it. And um, at at heart, I'm a salesperson. (laughs) Uh, So I basically almost immediately the owner said, well, you know, I'm looking for a consultant and you're it, like you're hired. And that was maybe after several weeks of working there. So um, we did a little training and then uh, I started doing that. And again, all these problems came up. Oh, what happens when X, Y, Z? And so I just started taking over more and more responsibility and solving problems and spending more time there. And um, eventually I took over a territory and we expanded over the course of several years to cover uh, the entire Los Angeles area, uh, six territories and a team of consultants, et cetera, et cetera. So the evolution of that was just out of need. It's like, Oh, we need this. We need this. We need this. And, you know, me wanting to solve problems because I was anxious and I, I wanted to, you know, control my anxiety. Let's solve the problems. Let's figure this out. You know, let's stop this from happening. This is a pattern we're noticing. Um, So after the fifth year, I had a decision to make and I decided to stay just for one more year before I would uh, start my own company. Um, 
And at the beginning, when I started my own company, I really had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that it, I just knew that executive functioning skills were desperately needed and I would do something in that field. And what I ended up doing was piloting a series of projects. And if I think back to this time in my life, it was excruciating. I was overwhelmed. I was not making any money. I was losing money. I was living off of savings because I considered this like, you know, the next step, like if I were to go to school and get a master's degree, then I would get my PhD or whatever. So my, my real world PhD was, okay, I'm going to blow through my savings. I'm going to not make any money for at least a year. And I'm just going to come up with lots of different ways to teach and do executive function. And I want to figure out which way I love the most and which way is the most meaningful to me. And, you know, I, I just kind of trusted that I would figure things out as I go. And obviously I leaned very heavily on other people in the field. I would, uh, when I made this decision, I ended up, you know, going through Google and, and calling everybody who called themselves an executive function coach and like talking to them and, and seeking out their support. And I joined a uh, Chad, uh, the children and adults with attention uh, deficit hyperactivity because they always had really great speakers and resources. And, um, you know, so I, I was just constantly learning and reading and listening to podcasts and, and just absorbing information and then talking to people and volunteering, you know, to help people. And, uh, I remember the first four parents who were, who piloted my coaching program. And I was very honest with them. I said, look, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I know I've got something. It's, it's good. I know you need it because <laughs> I, you know, you, you shared with me these struggles and they're so common. So, uh, I'll give you some free service and you'll give me some feedback. Um, and to this day, you know, I still connect with those parents. If we look back at growing the territories or kind of like expanding a business into different territories and and serving the market i'd love to know what strategies you recommend to to tutors who maybe have grown a tutoring business uh a bit larger but want to um kind of expand into different areas and market and build a business what what did you learn from that experience and what do you recommend the first thing that pops into my mind was those first five years at the tutoring company, we did everything wrong. I mean, we were growing, but we made so many mistakes and the service end of things was fine, but the back end of things was chaos. And the biggest lesson I learned was when that whole company just kind of crumbled under its own weight because we grew too fast. Um, and in those first five years, it was like pandemonium. <laughs> it was, you know, really rapid growth. And mainly because back then, tutoring was just becoming the industry it's become today. And to be honest, it was becoming very commodified. And there were these huge kind of sharks in the ocean that were throwing tons of capital into the market and, and really saturating it. And, um, but at the time that we were starting, it was like, there was so much need. There was so much demand for tutoring. And there were so many parents who were willing to do whatever it took to help their kids 
that we just had to keep up pace with the demand, really. But we were primarily using uh, Google Ads uh, to, you know, to get leads toward the website. And I always had a problem with the website. I thought it was crappy. <laughs> um, and after five years of doing it the way I was told, because it was a franchise and there was an owner, um, a, another consultant and I, we ended up buying the company because we wanted to do it our way, because we really disagreed with the way that tutoring was commodified and that it was kind of cheapened to, you know, have bad grades, hire a tutor, get better grades. Like that always made my stomach churn. And the more and more we started developing on the executive function side, the more and more the messaging needed to change uh, so that we could um, attract the right type of client that would invest the time, energy, and resources that are needed to help kids with these struggles. Um, so after, so basically I learned what I'm about to share through years and years and years of banging my head against the wall and doing it wrong and learning through all the mistakes, what it is that makes, um, growing a company and attracting the right people and, and, and messaging and marketing and all that. And what ended up for me being true and real and valuable was being of service. And every, every bit of effort that I wanted to put in my business, I, I would ask myself, is this being of service? And that's how I grew it. So Instead of, for example, buying uh, Google ads or Facebook ads or using my time, resources, and energy to creating flyers or business cards or any of that stuff, I just wanted to be of service. And I just knew at my core, that's what would attract the right people who, who aligned with my philosophy. So two things. One, because I didn't have a degree that said, you're an executive function coach. And I didn't have a certificate that said, you have passed through this program. Um, and because I look like I'm 12. <laughs> um, for all these reasons, I thought the first thing I really need to do is um, create my message and put it out into the world in a way that would be of service to people. And uh, at the time I was doing a lot of YouTube scrolling and looking at different types of coaches that have different business models. And um, I found several people who influenced me and who had really wonderful uh, stuff on YouTube that, that changed my life, that, that I was able to use in my moments of need to educate myself and to be coached by this person on YouTube. And I thought, um, this is something I want to do. I want to, for several reasons, you know, get some content out there that would show people, give people, give all the information away, basically. Um, and I had other, you know, business people or 
friends of mine say, how could you just give all this information for free away? And I just knew in my heart that like, no, I need to do that. Like, I want to help as many people as possible. People need to know this, but that's not taking away anything from my profits or coaching because what I knew deep down was that just knowing something isn't enough to execute on it, that taking action was the problem and that the value behind coaching is to help people take action in real time, like be present with them in those moments where their impulses are going to guide them in another direction, where their emotions are going to cause them to react in the moment rather than respond mindfully. So I wanted to, uh, as much as possible, get the message out there through uh, YouTube And then I wanted to make sure my website wasn't just like a sales page, that I want my website to be a resource. And I want to brain dump everything that uh, somebody would need to know in order to want to work with me into into this uh, website. I want it to be a a source, like a resource. And that's exactly what I did. Um, And it took me forever. And I kind of sucked at all these skills in the beginning and it took me a couple of years to really get to the place where I could, you know, really talk about it concisely or, you know, tell people this is what I do and this is what you need and this is how. Uh, that took me a while. The learning curve was very scary. <laughs> um, but I, I just knew that as long as I was being of service and doing meaningful work, that would be my driving force. Yeah. It sounds like you had a real, like, pivot in the sense that you own this tutoring company and I imagine it was profitable you know if you even though you said it was kind of crumbling under its own weight I mean that weight was probably associated with a lot of income absolutely (laughs) um so that must have been financially a challenging decision or maybe it was actually tell us was that was that a difficult decision to I guess you sold your stake in the business I mean how do you how did you make that decision? And was it like a numerical decision? Was it a like soul decision or a bit of both? How did you make the decision to let go of something that was what sounds like profitable? Um, without going into too much detail, there was some mismanagement on the back end, um, but it had the potential of being very profitable. Like I said, at this point, tutoring was so commodified and Los Angeles is such a huge wealthy market that it was kind of a no brainer to you know, be in that industry and to make a ton of money. Um, But at the same time, it was so, such a complex um, operation. And as you can imagine, if you have a couple hundred clients and a roster of 70 to 100 tutors driving around in LA, I mean, stuff's going to go down. And we were getting, you know, emergency calls left and right. You know, this person didn't show up and there, there's a big test tomorrow. And, oh, we need this new subject. And we were like this very concierge service where you can have an unlimited number of tutors for whatever the enrollment was. And it was kind of a pricey, a pricey uh, service. But honestly, the decision felt very organic because at, by this point, I was so burnt out and I was so unhappy. And I would wake up in the morning with so much anxiety and I was just done. And so by the time we closed the business, um, I actually ended up, my partner and I, we ended up uh, spending a lot of money to close it out of our savings and paying invoices through, you know, like paying people's invoices for an entire year and, 
you know, um, it was a huge process. It took about a year uh, to, to close it properly because we wanted to make sure we took care of every last person. And um, it's, it's hard when you're running a company like that to close because, as you can imagine, the future profits often pay for the current service. And we, uh, we got into this situation where if we would stop selling now, we wouldn't have enough of a budget or an income to keep the, keep up with the expenses. So it was a very painful decision, but I knew deep down it was the right one because I was no longer happy. I was no longer doing what I wanted and I was forcing myself to do it. And, uh, it, it just, for, for so many reasons, uh, it, it needed to be done. And I had learned so much that I was ready to start something from scratch and be the sole person responsible for all the decision-making. Because at that time, we were still part of a franchise network. And that franchise and me were very opposed. And I wasn't very quiet about it. I won't say more, uh, but it, there were many, many reasons why to to get out and to to take the risk. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, you know, I think, um, as someone who owns a tutoring business, uh, yeah, it's a big operation, right? I mean, we're, we're not as big as, as you, as your team and, and operation became, but that, you know, to, to kind of like shed a little light on that. Yeah. So if you're providing the service and then collecting a bill at the end of the month, you've got to make sure you collect that bill so you can pay your tutors. And if there's, if that system is not set up properly, it can be a nightmare. <laughs> you can uh, owe a lot of people money, so it's really important to have good systems set up. Currently, my my business we we started. I had another guest on, Joanne Kaminsky, the online tutor coach, and she talked to me about this program, Tutorbird, and we started using that, and it was like it was like a, an epiphany on a massive scale for me because it it captured all the information, it captured all the billing, like all these things that I was doing separately. Like it became it was like built into the system. And I was like, wow, this is like so amazing. And for the tutors too, it like schedules thing, it sends updates, you know, we're, we're all virtual. So I can see, I can imagine that driving around, like you said, some things are going to go down. That sounds complex. Um, which is part of the reason why I've avoided any, I mean, it's been beneficial to have, you know, COVID in that respect that we've just decided to go all virtual and that's our offering. What, when you when you look back on that experience, and I want to jump into what you're doing now in a minute, but when you look back on this that experience, what would you do differently, or what tools would you recommend to to people who are running a tutoring business or are expanding into being more than just a solo offering? Like, what were the takeaways? Like, ah, actually, this was pretty good, but you know, we grew too fast, or we used Google Ads too much to pull in too many clients. But here were the things like you should definitely do that you learned from that. Well, what you just mentioned was a big aha moment we also got because like you mentioned this database that's all inclusive and, and it creates a smooth operation and has lots of, you know, different ways to keep track of things. And, um, back when, back when I was doing this, uh, this was pre me owning a smartphone. This was back when you, uh, went on MapQuest and printed directions. <laughs> and I was also very opposed to using um, the smartphone back then. Uh, someone had to force me. Someone bought me a smartphone and forced me to use it. I was like, no. Um, but it, it kind of saved my life because I, I had access to technology that would help to organize things. Because before that, 
um, I would be, you know, I'd have like four different notebooks randomly sitting on my desk and lots of file cabinets and, you know, so much papers just scattered everywhere and everything would just be very manual. The notes would all be written by hand. And we had a database that was very ancient that I hated to use. And therefore my brain became the database. And that was fine when we had like 50 clients, but, but anything past that is almost impossible to maintain and keep track of and communicate now with a growing team of who's who and how many hours did who use and, you know, all the details. And one of the biggest mistakes we made was it took us way too long to transition into having systems that kept track of things. Um, and it caused a lot of problems. And I was very, very stubborn in my ways. Um, and the funniest thing is that this entire time that I was supporting families and kids who struggled with executive functioning, that I was having a massive struggle with my own executive functioning. And I was very blind to my own ADHD. In fact, I had never been diagnosed ever. And it wasn't until in my late 20s when I had a business partner that had excellent executive function, a master's degree in business, where when he came on board, he, he was the person who pushed me to develop the systems and the skills and the practices and the routines that allowed us to keep track of stuff and prevented so many of the problems I was experiencing. And I have to say that I was so stubborn that it took me two years to, to truly um, accept that I needed help and that I needed the systems and that this was important enough for me to spend my energy on. And so because this journey of executive functioning is so personal, um, I'm so much more passionate about it because I was that stubborn kid who don't tell me what to do. I've got my own way of doing things and screw you. But here I am running a, a big tutoring operation and I don't even effectively use like a Google calendar. You know, I, I, I looking back, I have no idea how I survived, uh, but it was, it was just chaos. Um, but I needed to experience that in order to you know, when I started my new business, I, I was so adamant about the systems. I was so consistent. My, the rest of my life was chaotic and disorganized, but my business was solid. I mean, it was like tight. I didn't have a calendar in college. I had just was keeping everything in my mind and I missed an appointment with my advisor and he was like, Sean, no one's going to take you seriously if you just keep, if you miss stuff. And that was the aha moment where I was like, I also had executive function struggles. So I think the people who who have gone through it and get it, they can really help the people who are going through it. Um, and just hearing your story about, yeah, you, it was like this massive tutor, tutor operation, but somehow you were holding it together. Like, oh, you know, like I'm just imagining someone like putting, you know, damming up the holes. But that's okay, right? It's like you have to go through and provide. And I'm sure so many kids got the help they needed. You know, obviously there was some things that maybe got missed at times, you know, and that's part of the journey, right? But, you know, you were helping so many and th then you decided, okay, you know, what's best for me and for my clients at this point is to just be a solopreneur. 
you know, I guess, and, and kind of work directly with the families to provide what you believe is, is the best. I'd love to know, you know, I'm really curious about this part of your journey where you start, you started just like doubling down on executive function, learning everything you can connecting with the, the leaders in the field. For me, that's been, you know, a challenge. It's like, how do you get, how do you, how do you talk to the people who, who are going to help you the most? So I made this podcast, you know, and this gave me a pathway to speak to the people that I really wanted to talk to and learn their stories. How did you connect with, with those, you know, leaders of the industry, like Seth Perler or, you know, other people who, who, um, are kind of the, the big names and, and now you, of course, as well, how did you make those connections? That's a great question. Um, I also started a podcast so I can interview them. <laughs> uh, but mainly um, through Chad was a big source because um, I actually became a board member with the local chapter. And part of what we did every month was we booked a speaker. And that was a great access to those people. Um, with Seth, I, re- I, re- I realized... Uh, when I read his website, I was just like, wow, this, this dude is like not afraid to say it how it is. And it's all over his website. And he became somebody that I really looked up to and and who I modeled my website after my business after. And, uh, I was just lucky that he lived in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, so my way is like, let me take you out to dinner, (laughs) a really nice dinner and pay for it. And, um, at the time, I was just about to, with that partner that we closed on the business, we were just about to start an executive function program for schools. And I ended up not doing it because that was so complicated and terrifying because LAUSD is just a big monster and uh, they're kind of set in their ways. And what we were, what we really wanted to do at the time was, um, was to uh, start an after-school program and also to incorporate executive function curriculum into the classroom. And uh, we were pursuing that. So when I contacted Seth, uh, we wanted to kind of hire him as a consultant to help us. And one of the best pieces of advice that changed the course of my business was when he said, you know, uh, that it's okay to to build a small, sustainable business that you can grow organically uh, so that you can sustain it and, and be happy and, and you know make a living without pulling your hair out. And that really resonated with me. Um, so I credit him uh, in terms of guiding me toward what I do now as a person on my own and just enjoying doing the work directly with the people who are benefiting rather than trying to build, you know, these big programs and systems and, and change, you know, change the schooling system. Uh, it's, it's so much more meaningful and satisfying to, uh, to, to keep things simple. Yeah. That's really powerful. And I'm, I'm like feeling that as you said, yeah, it's because I think, um, we are, you know, as educators, we want to spread our message, right? So we have those, dual desires to spread it as far and wide as possible because we believe in what we're talking about, right? Like I, I genuinely believe that if more kids had executive function support and didn't have not just tutoring, but like, you know, you families and students need to understand 
there's probably a bigger issue than just like not knowing how to do X plus Y equals whatever. It, they need to understand like, oh, I need to put this into my calendar. I need to like, you know, evaluate how long this takes. And I need to communicate with my teacher if I can't do it on time. Like there's, there's all these like skills that would enable students to be just do better. You know, even if they don't get the perfect grade, they're going to be better humans because they know how to executive function. Um, and that is wonderful. I like that strategy of just taking them to a nice dinner. That's, you know, I'll buy you a nice steak dinner and, uh, we're going to share, uh, best, best practices. That's, that's really cool. And it's, you know, it's like, you got to figure out a way, right. To kind of break into the circle of people who are doing what you want to do and, and to learn some strategies. And, and, uh, it sounds like you, you got what you needed. You got that advice. You got the validation because it sounds like you were already moving in that direction that you wanted to be a solo provider. And he just validated and I was like, yes, go for it. Can I say, can I say one more thing about reaching out to people? Some people like now that I'm on this other end of things and I've, I've enjoyed some success. Um, I have people reaching out to me and I absolutely love it because there's this idea that people might have in the business world that we're all competing against each other and nobody's going to help you because, you know, why would they? But the truth, it couldn't be further from the truth because truthfully, what, what people in my industry, like you and Seth and all these other people, um, I just, I love our industry because it is so genuinely heart-centered and the people who do this care a lot. And the need is so great that when somebody calls me and says, Hey, I want to do what you do, or I want to be a coach, or I want to do this. It's, it's such an amazing thing because it's like, yes, we need more people. And one thing that Seth and other people did was he said, don't reinvent the wheel, take all my stuff that I've made and use it because it works. And, you know, and obviously have your own, but we want to help each other. We want to see other people in this industry successful. We want to partner. We want to collaborate. Um, so I, I, to anyone listening to this, if you're not sure, you know, do I reach out or not do it? And sure, some people are going to be too busy or they're not going to want to help you or whatever, but the right person is going to literally take you under their wing. And this isn't something that I could do alone. And this isn't something that you learn it and then you do it. It's the opposite. You have to do it in order to learn it. And the learning curve is going to come crashing down on you. It's just a fact. And you're going to feel really confident at first and like, all right, I've got this. And then there's going to be this huge hole that you're going to fall into where you're going to ask yourself, why the hell am I doing this? I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what to do next. And that's when you want to have people around you who have been there and who can provide you with that validation. Keep going. You're moving in the right direction. You're doing the right things for the right reason. You'll figure it all out. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, your flaws are going to be what uh, connects you and, and helps you to relate to the people you're serving. They don't want a perfect person to be their coach. You know, they want somebody who gets them. And um, as long as you're a step ahead of your client, you're good. <laughs> Just keep, keep a step ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Thank you for, for, um, stating that. Uh, it's like, you know, every guest really talks about that, how they needed a mentor or someone to kind of help them see forward a little bit. 
I was talking to Kat Norton yesterday. She's uh, she's Miss Excel. So she's created this awesome platform to teach people how to use Excel. And she does these fun like videos where she's dancing and like being like, here's how you, you know, do this with the column. And she was saying, you want expanders in your life. You want people who help you look beyond your current circumstances. And I like feel that so much. Like every time I talk to someone like you or her or my other guests, it's just like, I'm seeing a different reality or being able to ask these questions, but it's, it's a win-win for everybody because you have the knowledge you've gone through it. Right. And then for me as a, as a newbie, I'm like trying to understand what, you know, what steps to take. And it's, it's so lonely if you're doing this on your own, right. If you're trying to like figure everything out on your own, but it's a win-win, right. Because you get to share your knowledge and your experience and someone like me or the people listening, they're going to have, um, an opportunity to really like, oh, that's a totally different way of looking at it. Like I didn't even think about it. And those little small 1% changes can be like world shifting, right? It can be the difference between banging your head against the wall for five years and like having a smooth sailing, you know, process if you, if you learn from others' experiences. So Yulia, now that you're, you have kind of your dream, I'm sure, I'm sure there's things you want to do even going forward, but now that you've kind of, you've gone through your kind of, uh, what do they say? The heroic journey, right? You've got gone through this really difficult experience and built a business and invested in yourself. And now you have a practice where you're doing what you love, what you want to do. What's the biggest challenge you're facing right now? So I'm laughing because I feel like every time I kind of reach a certain plateau, I'm no longer satisfied and I have to now challenge myself again. And it's driven by the same force of, you know, wanting to support and, and be of service. And at this point, I, I basically, I'm having like too many inquiries for, for coaching. And so now there's a need for groups. And now, uh, I, now that I have accumulated a certain set of, you know, values and, and, and ways of doing things and ways of thinking about things and resources, I want to, um, create a course. So I'm working on my first mini course online. It's a series of meditations because mindfulness is part of the journey. Uh, being able to look within and figure out your why, your purpose and figure out, you know, what, what do I want and how do I get it? You know, uh, so this course is for parents. So my biggest challenge now is doing my regular you know, coaching work. And then on top of that, finding time and energy and motivation to do all the things that come with building uh, an online course and a group coaching model. So basically I'm like restarting a business while I have this one running. Um, and my challenge is to not be daunted by that new learning curve because I'm I'm finding that I'm back to square one and I've got to redo and relearn and go through, you know, falling into the hole and crawling back out. And I just need to trust that I'm capable of that. It's worth it. And looking back in hindsight, I'm going to be glad I did it. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to start a new thing. And, and, you know, it's like when you're you're on top of the world, right? And now you're you're back to it's like the cycle almost. It's like you become the expert, and now you're back to being the learner. Um, but I'm sure you've you've uh, amassed or developed some executive function skills along the way that will help you break through this this new challenge. What is the question I should be asking that I'm not asking? What does coaching look like? Like what's what's the what's the actual day to day? There's several different components 
to this type of work because it's real, it's not cookie cutter. And I think that's the core message I wanted to, to get out is that you may have a process or a system or a way to do something that is actually totally different with each client that you're working with because you are adapting and customizing based on their needs in that current moment. So I think the biggest thing I had to learn because going into this, you know, you want to be confident and sure that you have something, a way of doing things, an approach, a step-by-step, you know, first I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then this is going to be the outcome. Uh, but, but I think the reality when it comes to coaching or tutoring is that you don't know what you're going to do until you're there. And that's okay. So that you don't go into it with all the solutions to all the problems, but you go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to do my best to listen and understand the needs and the, the challenges and the strengths. And then I'm going to help this other person come to their own conclusions through a series of questions that are going to help me understand them, are going to help them understand themselves, and that are going to help them become a type of thinker that has a growth mindset, that can notice patterns of behavior, can notice recurring and predictable things, and can prioritize, and can uh, master a process rather than achieve an outcome, despite the outcome. And so as a coach, I had to understand that when my clients make a mistake or when they fail or when they, when they can't do something, that that's what I want. Uh, that, that's the experience that they need to have in order to grow. And that I might be sitting here with all these answers to their problem, but those aren't really the answers to the problem because the answers to their problem is their ability to have a process to solve their own problems and to ask for help when they get stuck and to persevere despite being confused or upset or whatever. And so uh, in order to do that, practically speaking, through coaching, you have to show up and be present and be ready to learn (laughs) and have your bag of tools and tricks and have your systems and processes, but also be open and expect the unexpected. And your primary role as a coach is a role model. People learn through example. Um, And so the way I've operationalized this, uh, a couple things that I've come to do as a result of making my own series of mistakes um, is I want to make sure that by the time I start coaching a client, that they are ready and they are open and they are willing and they trust me. And how do I do that is by going through a series of uh, steps uh, for onboarding. And so now the onboarding process is um, you Google something. Most people, they find me by Googling, um, you know, parents who micromanage and they read my open letter to parents and they read through, you know, my website and they, they say something like, oh my gosh, you're literally describing my family. You're like a fly on the wall. I get that a lot. You know, like how did you, you're describing my, I have these contact, uh, the uh, coaching contact forms where you fill out like all this information about your kid. And so many of the forms are like, well, 
you explain my kid to me through your website better than I could explain them to you. So just that, <laughs> that's the problem. This is what's going on. Um, and so that leads us to our initial conversation where I just listen and I hear them out and I ask them, you know, what are your goals? After that, I send them a long email <laughs> with lots of links and I, I give them instructions on, you know, they kind of have to jump through a couple hoops because, you know, coaching requires that people take action. And if you aren't able to sort of get through this series of things that I'm asking you to do, and you don't have to be perfect, not everybody goes through it perfectly, but if you're, if you're willing to do that, to read through this and to click here and fill out the, the self-assessments and things like that and send them back to me, then that kind of is a ticket to the next step. And the next step is um, I'll usually speak to the other spouse who didn't contact me, but now is learning through their you know, spouse who did about the program. And I talk to them one-on-one and then we come together. Usually there's two parents involved, not always, but then both parents meet with me and then I'll have a conversation with the child. And I'll get to know them and, you know, hey, do you know that your parents are reaching out to me and what are some of the challenges and what what do you wish were different? Um, and then we have a, a quick session with the whole family. So this takes about a month. Uh, and by the time we have a session with the whole family, what I'm looking out for is I'm looking to see whether or not they're able to listen to each other good enough, right? Without like jumping down each other's throats, without arguing or fighting or whatever. And they're just able to hold space for one another and to trust me to guide that experience that, you know, like if your kid says something that you disagree with, it's okay. <laughs> let's, let's hold some space and let's really get to learn how, what are the dynamics here in this family? And um, by that time, the clients are actually, well, not clients yet, but the, the prospects that I'm talking to, they, they get a good sense of the program and, and what coaching is going to feel like, what it's going to look like, what the expectations are. You know, if you book an appointment with me, can you show up? <laughs> you know, is your kid going to show up to the session or are they going to be resistant? And if so, how are we going to get through that? If they refuse to get coaching, the family coaching, then can we do just parent sessions? And so uh, by the time that we go through this onboarding process, they might get on a waiting list. And by the time they're ready to have our enrollment call where we design the enrollment together, and I'll, I'll tell you about the three different components of coaching and the enrollment, uh, by that time, they are so eager and excited to start working with me that, um, that I find that they're much more willing to execute on the program after this type of process where we have really... Um, you know, it also allows me to filter out the people who don't align with the philosophy that I have or uh, who just want me to fix their kid, you know, or to fix the problem. Or they say, well, you just work with the kid. You know, we don't have to be involved. Um, and that's okay in lots of circumstances, but that's not the approach that I take. You know, I really hold the parents to a very high standard that if you want your child to do something, you have to be able to model that behavior. Because if you're asking your child to do something and you're doing the opposite, you're a hypocrite. And I'm going to call you out on that. And because your kid's going to call you out on that because kids are very good at seeing that type of stuff. And they're very oppositional because kids actually uh, think about what's fair. And they are willing to do things that they disagree with or not disagree with, but that they don't like or they don't prefer to do when it's fair. And parents have to learn how to hold their kids accountable 
without punishing or, or coercing the behaviors that they want to see, right? So this is about everybody's personal journey of transformation and the family's journey of transformation. And so my onboarding process really drives that message home and I get to work with the clients that I want to work with um, and who want to work with me and, and do the program. And I'll just, I'll mention briefly the, the three different components of coaching. So, uh, and it, this took me a while to get to this point where I figured it out because I've tried lots of different approaches. Um, but I've, I've, I've come to this point where the family and I together decide what the enrollment looks like. And I go, I start with a six week program. Um, and that's just because in six weeks you can get, you can get through a lot and you can end up somewhere where you weren't before and kind of assess from that point moving forward. Uh, what's next. And the three components are um, the primary component of the coaching is that we have a family session and it's the collaborative process. So this is a plan B meeting uh, with the family. And that happens at least once a week. Uh, another thing that happens one to two times a week is I'll have a session with the parents. And with parents, I'll do a slightly different uh, type of session where they reflect on and assess and set an intention to work on their own executive functioning skills and systems. And there are seven systems that they can work on. By the way, I have all the, all the assessments and stuff available for free on my website. Um, but the parents have their own way of reflecting on their own skills and focusing on their own development of executive function and problem solving amongst themselves. So mom and dad can use plan B to uh, get on the same page about parenting and, and align, you know, their, their values and stuff like that. Um, and the third component is that I will work directly with the student to help them to implement the, the solutions that we're practicing and to help them to, you know, just kind of help them feel heard and validated and understood so that I could be their advocate and that they could, we can develop a really trusting relationship. Um, and as you can imagine, it's, you have to uphold very solid boundaries when you're working with everyone so that, the student trusts me that what they say to me is confidential and vice versa with the parents. And so once I have the six week program established, we know when we're meeting, what time everything's out, you know, Google calendar invitations, et cetera. Then in between sessions, there's responsive coaching. There's, you know, kid texts me because he's struggling with something or um, mom's overwhelmed with a problem in the moment and she wants me to intervene with her and the child or her and her husband or quick family meeting or a quick check-in or let's talk to teachers. Let's have a plan B meeting with the teachers. Um, you know, let's advocate. Uh, so it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you just have to be present and open and responsive to whatever's happening in the moment and also have some sort of a structure that carries you through. Yeah, it sounds like a life-changing process and there's such a a gradual build up to actually committing that it's like how could you turn back once you you've gone through all those steps. It it sounds like you're you're very clear about, you know, filtering out who's appropriate and who's not um for them and for you, right? It's it's a I'm curious in that process given that they don't commit it sounds like until almost a month in, how do you protect your time? And, you know, you got to make money, you know, doing this work, of course, how do you protect yourself from not, you know, it sounds like probably you have a high success rate of, of obtaining these clients, but how do you 
yeah, protect your time so that you're not giving away too much um, without people, you know, giving of themselves, I guess, or of their own finances? I'm not really worried about it because I just know that I just need two things. I need to be of service. Anybody who emails me gets a call and I don't, I don't charge anything for that first initial, you know, kind of series of calls because I, I truly want to make sure that, you know, this person is ready and they're able. And, um, I, I spend a lot of my time volunteering on like different boards and, uh, I want to make sure that a big chunk of my time goes toward being of service without having to make a profit. So I think as long as I have a really solid boundary and I value my own time, um, I can make those decisions in the moment. You know, do I spend an hour with this person who I know isn't going to hire me uh, or who can't afford me? Or do I take 45 minutes to write an email to somebody because they're struggling with something and I want to point them in the right direction or refer somebody or spend some time researching, um, you know, the appropriate placement for them in like a different organization. So maybe I do too much or whatever, but I... I, I do value my time and I have boundaries. So as long as I'm within that, I don't feel like I have to protect, you know, time or I don't feel like I'm losing if a client at the end of the day won't hire me um, because I've had enough experiences where <laughs> I work with the wrong people and things don't go well and you lose money or you you know, you, whatever happens, but I, I, I just see that I have a mission and it makes me enough income so that I don't have to worry about that so that I can spend my time being of service in whatever way. I got some rapid fire questions. Do you have a few more minutes for the hot seat? Yeah. All right. So only rule, don't take too much time to think about these so we can get your top of the top of the dome answers. Okay. Apple or Android? Apple. Favorite book? Parents Dao De Ching, Ancient Advice for Modern Parents by William Martin. You knew that one. <laughs> Favorite movie? Whew. I'm just going to say the Matrix series because that really stands out and it's it's awesome, but I'm sure that's not my favorite. I'm sure as soon as we hang up, I'll, I'll know exactly the answer to that question. The Matrix is awesome. I, I can't, I, the, the second two were beyond my executive function understanding. <laughs> but right. the first one was game changing. Originally, you're supposed to be Will Smith. I, 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 yeah, I heard that. I feel like it would have been awesome. I, you know, it was awesome with, with Keanu Reeves, but Will Smith would have been pretty cool too. Uh, app you couldn't live without? Zoom. Favorite album? See, I easily get scattered with these questions because in my brain, there's this uh, giant fumbled image of every album I've ever <laughs> listened to and looked at, okay. uh, but I love bad brains. Um, uh, gosh. Yeah. They're like, they're yeah. like, um, reggae and punk rock, right? Yes. They're cool. like the great combination of these two beautiful genres. They're amazing. Yeah. Ideal vacation spot. Um, Somewhere where I can explore and it's warm. <laughs> Best Amazon purchase in the last six months. I bought this poncho and I've been wearing it every day. It's it's lovely pandemic fashion. 
Oh, not a rain poncho though, right? No, it's just like a, a warm sweater thing. Got it, got it. Uh, self-care activity of choice. I love going to the park and being barefoot on the grass and just doing things like reading or writing or journaling um, at the park with the doggy. Best TV show. Okay, currently I am obsessed with Frankie and Grace. I think it's brilliant. If a book was written about your life, what would the title be? Why? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yulia, it has been an absolute pleasure to be chatting with you today. If people want to follow you and learn more about your work, where do they go? Uh, best place is the website and it's mindfuleducation.com and mindful has two L's and you can reach out to me there through the contact form and you'll, you'll be right in my inbox and I'll reply to you uh, within 48 hours. If you want a copy of my favorite book that taught me how to grow my business, it's called Clockwork and I'm giving away a free copy each week to a lucky listener. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot, and send a picture of it to info at earnmoretutoring.com with your address. I'll randomly select a winner each week. I hope you got value from today's episode. If you do one thing, leave a review and rating. Go and crush that subscribe button. New episodes will be posted on Sundays. Join our email list and Facebook group by going to earnmoretutoring.com. This show is written by Sean McCormick. The show is produced by Casey Sticker and Sean McCormick. Music production is by Casey Sticker. Project management is done by Maya Pugach. 